Genesis 49, 28 through 50, 26. All of these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah in the east of Mamre, in the land of the Canaan, which Abraham bought, with the field, bought the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in, uh, that it is in it were, were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and the physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed, the, embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And Egyptians went, uh, wept for 70 days. And when the days of weeping were past, Joseph spoke to his household of the Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father has made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there, it went, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father for seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw that the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim, and it is beyond the Jordan. His, son, his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in a cave in the field of Machpelah and to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with a field from the Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he buried his father, Joseph had returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all of the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke to them. His brothers also came, fell down before him, and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. 
Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph, lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children up to of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made for the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, you shall be, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Nick Swan, and I am the associate pastor of Grace Press in Winneka, as Will said. And Will and I have been friends for four years, I think, when I started coming to the church in September of 2019. And it was a joy to work with him as he was finishing up his TED studies and a joy to see him called to this church to see what a fit it has been and the joy that it's bringing he and Kristen and the family to be here. And it's a joy now to come and preach God's word to you. Well, I'm thankful that you allow me to be here, grateful for your family, grateful for your friendship. The title of our message this morning is called Joseph's Bones. And before we begin, I am going to pray for us. So please join me as I pray. Father, by your spirit, help us to see your goodness and trust your control of every moment, every detail of our lives. May this give us hope this morning as we look forward to a day when Christ will return and we will ultimately spend eternity with you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Throughout human history, various religions have downplayed the goodness or value of the physical body. Some religions even so emphasize the spiritual aspect of our beings that they, spend their, uh, they would spend their lives longing to be out of their physical bodies, believing that our bodies were defiled or somehow limiting, things to be escaped in order to experience the freedom of a more full and richer spiritual realm. This belief was often reflected in how our bodies or their bodies were handled after death. Many non-Christian religions over the years have chosen uh, to burn their bodies, thus symbolically freeing their spirits from the person that, and they were bound in this enfleshed or in, uh, bound by their human or enfleshed existence. The Judeo-Christian tradition, on the other hand, has sought when possible to honor the sacredness of the body by burying or entombing the remains of human beings. Not only did this tradition point to the sacredness of the body, it also pointed forward to the hope of the resurrection when our bodies will be reunited, not simply disembodied spirits, but our bodies and spirits will be reunited at the resurrection, glorified just as Christ was raised from the dead. Put another way, the practice of Christian burial affirmed what we just said in the Apostles' Creed, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the what? The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now this morning's passage, it's interesting. It has reference, makes reference to two different burials. You have Jacob's burial and you have Joseph's future burial after the Exodus. 
And both men requested that their bones be taken and entombed in the promised land. And in so doing, Jacob and Joseph, they were expressing their faith in God's promises. And both of these events take place in this unshakable faith and trust that Joseph had that God, when he promised something, would ultimately bring it about. He believed God in the midst of his trials and the sufferings of his life, which you guys have been learning about. But at the end, he's not only entrusting his life to God, he's entrusting his eternal life to God. The main point of this passage this morning is this. Because God is good and has a plan for our lives, we can trust God in our present circumstances, and we can also live in the hope of a future resurrection. Because God is good and has a plan for our lives, we can trust God in our present circumstances and live in the hope of a future resurrection. So point number one is Joseph's unshakable trust in God's goodness. I'm going to take our passage a little bit out of order this morning. So if you want to look with me in your Bibles, I'm going to be looking at verses 15 to 21. And I'm going to zoom in here because this is a story about how Joseph is trusting in God's promises. And then I'm going to zoom out and we're going to look at these two burial accounts that make a sandwich of our passage this morning. Ultimately, what we're going to see is that how Jacob and Joseph lived and also how they died were a reflection of their faith in the goodness and promises of God. You see, Genesis is built around key promises. If you can remember all the way back to Abraham, you have Abraham who was promised that he would become a great nation, that he would be given a land, and that God would bless the people that inhabited that land, and through that people they would be a blessing to the nations. And these promises were handed down from Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, Jacob, and ultimately to Joseph. And this faith was grounded in their belief that God was good, and that in his providence, in his control of all things, he was going to fulfill the promises that he had made to Abraham. And throughout the book of Genesis, we have God's providential fingerprints all over this story that God is orchestrating and bringing about the promises that he has made. Now, I'm defining providence as this. God's good and wise plan for our lives. God's good and wise plan for our lives. And trusting in God's providence means living lives that reflect our belief in God's control of all things. That he is both willing and he's able to fulfill every promise that he has ever made to us. And that he will do so in such a way that it is for our good and ultimately not just for our good but for his glory. It's Joseph's belief in God's good and wise plan that allowed him to trust God through slavery, through imprisonment, through abandonment. It's Joseph's belief in God and his good and wise plan that allowed him to reframe his suffering. If there was a man that could have been bitter, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, risen up through slavery, then thrown into prison unjustly, suffering in prison for years, and then he finally comes out again, he could have been a man who was bitter. And yet because he understood God's providence, he reframed his suffering, and he was therefore able to extend forgiveness to his brothers and ultimately trust God in his goodness. In verse 15 in our passage, yet again, he extends forgiveness to his brothers. His brothers, yet again, were doubting his forgiveness. So, yes, Joseph forgives them, but Jacob was alive. Now Jacob is about to die, and so what do the brothers begin to fear? 
When the dad dies and Joseph can do as he wants, and Joseph did have power. He was a powerful man in Egypt. When dad dies, you know what Joseph is is probably going to do? He's probably going to get his revenge. Yes, he forgave us when dad was alive, but now he's going to come for us. So the brothers begin to doubt, and they want Joseph to make a fresh promise. Are you sure that you've really forgiven us? And so Joseph begins to weep. And I think he begins to weep because he has compassion for them. He recognizes they've been living in fear. They don't actually believe that he's truly forgiven them. And so in mercy and in compassion, he's weeping and he says, Indeed, I'm, I've actually forgiven you. Even when dad dies, I'm not going to come for you. I've forgiven you. I've forgiven you. Joseph says to them, Do not fear. This is verse 19. Listen carefully. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So earlier in Genesis, if you remember, Joseph did test them. He wanted to see whether they were genuine in their repentance. So when they came to get food, he recognized them. He tested them and said, do you have another brother? Yes, indeed, we have another brother, Benjamin. And they said, I'm going to test you. And he said, I'm going to send you back, but I'm going to keep one of your brothers here, and I want you to prove your faithfulness and your truthfulness by bringing Benjamin back. And so they all go back. No one seems to be super worried about Simeon. You know, Simeon's just hanging out there. Jacob is there. And Jacob is like, why in the world did you tell him about the 12th son? Like, why did you do this? Again, no one seems worried about Simeon. He's just hanging out there. So eventually Jacob runs out of food, and he's like, you got to go back. And so what is Jacob? They tell Jacob, Dad, we can't go back. He knows we've got to bring Benjamin, your other favorite son. We got rid of the first favorite son. Your other favorite son, we're going to have to bring him back in order to get food, in order to get Simeon. So they come back. They prove their trustworthiness to Joseph, and he forgives them. So Joseph has already tested them, seen their genuine, genuineness, and he has forgiven them. Now this time we see another aspect of Joseph's mindset that helps inform his ongoing forgiveness of them. So first he affirms that God and God alone is the judge. Verse 19, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? In believing this, understanding this, freed Joseph to entrust justice to God. He could have brought them to justice as a powerful man in Egypt, but he did not. Rather than taking justice into his own hands, rather than growing bitter, rather than seeking to change or to manipulate his brothers, to make them into the kind of people he wanted them to be, Joseph was able to entrust his brothers to God, to allow God to handle the situation, to allow God to handle it as he saw fit. Now imagine how freeing this would be in our relationships if we were able to entrust those that we love and those who maybe have sinned against us or offended us, if we were able to entrust them to God. Imagine a world free from bitterness and revenge. Imagine a world. Imagine a world where forgiveness was extended freely despite whether the person asked for that forgiveness well or whether they asked for it at all. Imagine a world where we more fully entrusted to God those whom we love, trusting God to work in the hearts of our spouse or in the hearts of our child, trusting that he can work in the hearts of our parents, trusting that he can work in the hearts of our friends or our extended family, 
Ultimately, it's God who is at work in the hearts of people. Friends, you and I cannot change the heart of a single person. The only heart we can work on actively is our own, and even our own heart, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. We cannot change those around us. We can't make them see things the way we see. We can't make them do the things we want them to do. Because ultimately, we are not their God. We are not their judge. Joseph understood this. Therefore, he was able to step aside. No longer is it mano a mano, you and me. He was able to step aside and say, brother, I forgive you because I entrust you to God. He's the one who's ultimately going to work in your heart. Second, Joseph affirms his trust in the providence of God. Joseph believes in his heart of hearts that God has a good and wise plan for each of our lives such that even the sinful actions of people are incapable of thwarting God's ultimate purposes in our lives. Hear that again. The sinful actions of humankind are incapable of thwarting God's good purposes in our lives. Joseph says this to his brothers in verse 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. God is in control. God is good. God is at work. Joseph can trust that God is in the midst of his suffering. Even when his brothers meant evil against him, he trusted that God was ultimately bringing about these things for good. And because he, could, he knew this, he was able to forgive his brothers and even do the merciful action of providing for all of his brother's family, all of their little ones. I love you, I forgive you, and I'm going to provide for you and all of your children and all of your grandchildren. Now, each of us know the pain and the suffering brought about by living in a fallen world. Each of us know the pain of others sinning against us. Every single person in this room knows that. Joseph had the peace, had peace in the midst of suffering because he believed that God was providentially orchestrating the circumstances of his life and ultimately of ours, even the sinful actions of others against us. Therefore, Joseph was free to forgive. Friends, do you believe that God actually has a good plan for your life? Let that sink in. He has a good plan for your life. God is good. He's wise. He's true. He's perfect. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's holy. He's just. He's kind, compassionate, and merciful. God is all of these things. And he is the one who is orchestrating providentially every detail of your life. He has a plan for you. Therefore, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of whether you think it is right or good or just or unjust, God is at work ultimately to bring about his purposes for your good and his glory. And because of Joseph's unshakable trust in God's goodness, he was able to entrust to God those who had sinned against him to reframe his suffering and trust that God was at work. But Joseph's trust in God's goodness, it wasn't limited to this life. It extended to the life to come, which is why Joseph, like his father Jacob, had very specific instructions for what to do with his bones. This is point number two, Jacob and Joseph's bones. Jacob and Joseph's bones. In our passage this morning, we've got these two funerals. So we've taken the little section in the middle. We've got the two funerals 
that are talked about. One takes place, the other is projected into the future that sandwich this passage. Now, let's take the first one, which is Jacob. So I want you to note a couple things. First, it was a huge affair. It went on for 70 days. To give you some perspective, when a pharaoh was buried, they spent 72 days mourning a pharaoh. And in this case, they honored Joseph's father by giving him 70 days. And think about why this was the case. Joseph... And therefore, his family were being honored because Joseph had saved and preserved Egypt through this great famine and made Egypt exceedingly wealthy. In fact, Joseph was fulfilling the very promises that had been made to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They're being honored in the, in the midst of a foreign nation, and this foreign nation has been blessed because the people of God had been present there through Joseph. Second is the route that Jacob's family took to Canaan to bury his bones. Now, if you know the area at all, so picture you've got the Mediterranean Sea, you've got the Nile Delta in Egypt. They could have taken a very direct route right around the end and gone to Hebron, the Oaks of Mamre. But what they ended up doing is they go far out east of that, east of the Dead Sea. They go circle around through the Jordan, and then they come down south or east of Jerusalem, and they go to the Oaks of Mamre. Does anyone, I know that was, you can't see the map on my wall here, but... Does anyone recognize this journey of going out through the wilderness around the Dead Sea, east of the Dead Sea, over the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land? Is that ringing a bell? Who makes that journey like 400 years later? Yeah, it's the Exodus. So who's writing the book of Genesis? Moses is. And he's showing that the root of Jacob, Jacob is the first fruits of the Exodus, and these bones, which are going to make this trek 400 years later, the people of Israel are going to make that exact same trek. They're going to go out into the wilderness. They're going to go around the Dead Sea. They're going to go through the Jordan River. And ultimately, they're going to be led into the Promised Land. Moses is making clear Jacob is the first fruits of this exodus. And just like his bones have traveled 400 years from now, the people of Israel are going to be freed from Egypt. They're going to make the exact same trek into the Promised Land. So the second, that was the first funeral. The second funeral is one that's projected. Joseph makes these instructions about his bones. And Joseph's burial also points to the Exodus. Joseph speaks these final words. Look with me at 50, 24 to 26. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So by faith, Joseph was trusting the words that had been promised to Abraham. Joseph knew well these words from Genesis 15 that God says to Abraham, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So Joseph, by faith, knows that story, and he believes it. And he says, when this day comes, we're going to be afflicted, we're going to be in this land for 400 years, but there will come a time when the people of Israel will come out of Egypt, they will go through the Exodus, and when that happens, I want you to take my bones, and I want you to bury them in the promised land. Now, it says the word coffin there, but it's not an actual coffin. So don't picture like, you know, some big giant coffin. 
What it was was actually a box that was relatively small, and he had his bones placed in that box, and the box had rings on it so they could slide poles through it so they could carry it in a quick manner when the time came. And that's exactly what they did 400 years later. Joseph believed what God said, and by faith he said, put my bones in a box for 400 years. Think about that. What was happening 400 years ago? 1623. We weren't even a country yet. Where will we be in 2423, 400 years from now? Can you imagine giving instructions about your funeral in 2423? By the way, when this happens, can you please do this with my bones? It took great faith to believe that what God said would take place, and indeed, it happened. Now, both of these stories lead us to ask, what in the world do the burial of their bones have to do with God's promises? Why is this so important? Commentator Ian Duguid explains it this way. In antiquity, the decision to be buried in a particular place meant that you were permanently committing your body to a particular piece of ground and therefore to the care of the God associated with that ground. In other words, for Jacob and Joseph, their hopes for the life to come were tied to the God of the land where they were buried. And they said, I want my eternal destiny tied to the God of promise and the land that he has promised us. Therefore, plant my bones in that land. Because that is the God that I believe in, I believe in his promises, and I want to tie my eternal destiny to that God who saves. But what does this have to do with us? You might have been wondering when I was starting off, like, is this going to be some random sermon about funerals and whether you should be cremated or not? And what do we do with our body? I'll leave that one to Will. Like, what what he thinks about how we should all be buried if we should be cremated or not. That is not where I'm headed with this message. Where I'm headed with this message and its main relevance to us is tied to our faith in God's promises that teach us that death is not the end. And that one day Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he will renew all of creation. And our souls, which have been separated from our bodies, will one day be rejoined to those bodies. And in new bodies, glorified bodies, and a new heavens, and a new earth, we will spend eternity with God. That is the faith that we are called to. Jacob and Joseph express their faith by tying their bones to the promised land. And we express our faith by believing, like Jacob and Joseph, that this life is not the end, that our good and wise God is providentially in control of all things, and that what he promises will ultimately come to pass. When he says, I will come again to judge the living and the dead, we believe that, therefore, we live by faith for that day. Our confidence in God's promises is informed ultimately, though, by another exodus, the exodus of Jesus. Jesus' life is the ultimate fulfillment of the exodus of Israel. In an oft-overlooked passage, we're going to hear this because we're coming up on Advent here in a few weeks. In Matthew 2, you have Joseph and Mary, and they take Jesus to Egypt to protect him from Herod. Do you guys remember this story? And then eventually Herod dies, and they bring him back, and it says what? Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus comes back like the people of Israel from Egypt to Israel. Jesus, after his baptism, is led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, reliving the wilderness wanderings of Israel, tempted in every way like they are, and yet he without sin. Jesus is manna from heaven. He gives spiritual water through the Spirit, living water, and he he gives spiritually what was provided for the Israelites in manna from heaven and water from the rock. 
In Luke 9, on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father, Elijah and Moses, they meet with Jesus and they prepare him for his departure or his exodus. And this moment took place just leading up to his, his conviction and his crucifixion, his death and his resurrection. In his death, Jesus became the Passover lamb, our substitute who shed his blood to pay all the debts that we owe. Jesus in his death and his resurrection, he was buried in the water of baptism, just like the Israelites passed through the waters of the Dead Sea and came out the other side in life. He was buried in the baptism of death and came out in resurrection life. Our confidence as we face death, which each of us will, each of us will face death, is that Jesus is the true Israel, that he's our exodus, he's our deliverer, he alone, he alone has passed through death and come through in resurrection life. And united with him and our hope in him is that just as he has passed through death into life, he has passed through the exodus of suffering and come out the other side. You and I, united by faith, will be able to face death and pass through death and ultimately to have eternal life, glorified bodies, glorified souls. Jacob and Joseph point forward to Jesus, the promised land and their bones and where their bones were buried. They point forward to a new heaven's and a new earth. And just like Jacob and Joseph lived by faith, we live by faith in the life to come. When Jacob gave instructions regarding his bones, God's people only owned a small, tiny little burial plot in the promised land. When Joseph said, I want to be buried, he waited 400 years to be buried. And Hebrews talks about this kind of faith, the faith that's required of us. It mentions this in Hebrews 12. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. And what that faith reflected is talked about later in Hebrews 11:13, when it talks about the faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These all died in faith. Friends, this is what it will be for us unless Jesus comes back before we die. These all died in faith, not having received the thing promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers, we are strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We like Jacob... And Joseph before us, we greet these eternal promises from afar. It can seem kind of far-fetched. We're going to die and our spirits are going to be separated and someday Jesus is going to come back and then our spirits are going to come back and they're going to be reunited with the body and this whole earth is going to be transformed into a new heavens and a new earth. Friends, if you pause for any length of time, that requires some faith to believe that and to live an entire life in the hope of that reality. But it says that if we believe these things, that we are greeting a heavenly city for afar, and that God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. As, for we, as, as we wait for that day, we trust that God is good, that he's orchestrating each detail of our lives, and that one day he will do what he promised. He will return to restore all things, body and souls, glorified eternity with him. Friends, we're actors in a play that is so much bigger than us. It began Genesis 1, it ends Revelation 21 and 22. But even though it's a big story, we have a very intimate and loving God who knows the details of your life, and he's writing the story of your life. God loves each and every one of us. He's with us in this life. And by faith in him, we can face the sufferings of this life and ultimately death because we know that death is not the end. 
that ultimately we will be raised with him and spend eternity with him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you for how you demonstrate your faithfulness in your word. That sometimes hundreds of years pass between a promise made and a promise fulfilled, and yet you always prove faithful and true. May that give us hope as we face the daily ups and downs of this life, that you're with us, that you're faithful. And may it help us to face eternity, that one day we will come to die and we will entrust our souls to you, and that even then you will prove faithful and true. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.